In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. My name is Ryan Roxy, and well, this is a taped podcast. We have been doing live stream podcasts and taped podcasts all through this time because I guess we have some time on our hands, don't we? But the good news, so do all the artists that we're talking to. That's why we get some, I don't know, top names. I'm, I'm going to say top name, our guest today. He's in the trenches. He's been in the trenches. He's going to talk all about that. But he's definitely on his way out of the trenches and up to the top because he's been working his ass off. Would you welcome mm-hmm. to the show, Jared James Nichols. There you are. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. What's going on? Hanging, yeah. hanging. Everything's great. Um, feeling good. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee at the moment. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful day. I Just sw- taking it one day at a time. I swore to my audience that this is going to be where you don't mention the C word in here. This is sort of our little safe spot. So I'm, I'm down for yeah. that. So the totally C, because you're bombarded by it as soon as you, you know, stop. You know, as soon as you go outside or put on any sort of social media or any sort of news broadcast. So in here is the C-free zone. But I do want our audience to know um, how you've been coping with this sort of just hanging by yourself or just hanging with your family. How's it been? Yeah, you? no, it's, it's, it's been, uh, honestly, it's been a really, really, in a weird way, a really nice break. Because as you, you know, you're, we're always working, we always have our head just down, focused. This was a good opportunity for me to come up and, and see the, the whole world a little bit and to, to kind of get back to a perspective. It's been great, man. I mean, as I've been hanging with my family, it's been very quiet, very quiet, but uh, been working on new music, um, taking time to just spend with loved ones. And, you know, it's, it's been a beautiful thing. I would say for a lot of musicians, having, you know, sort of forced uh, inclusion is kind of could be you worked as a positive could be looked upon as a positive because that's when you get your creative juices start flowing and you almost have that time that usually if you're not running here running there or like you do um, a lot of touring you do a lot of guitar clinics and mm-hmm. now you're like in your own little safe bunker to I mean, I've been watching you on social media, uh, putting out guitar uh, licks. You've been putting out riffs, and uh, yeah, it's been cool. Yeah, right? no, it's 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 all good, man. I, I think that uh, initially, as most of us musicians, it was kind of like a shock, and and I really didn't, um, it I didn't, you know, understand what was actually happening. It, it was like, okay, I'm going home. It's you know, we we're we we're in the middle of uh, my first ever like headline Europe tour. And it was like, all right, we're going home. This will all be good. And I didn't really, you know, wrap my head around it yet. But but now it's it's at a point where, yeah, we have more time to do different stuff. And and for me, it's it's a beautiful thing to work on new stuff and you know just kind of get my head above water and and to uh, to let it let it be. You know, it's it's all good. It's all going to be good. Well, you have been in the trenches, working your way to this point for. A good many years. I mean, you moved to Los Angeles in what, 2010, right? Yes. Yeah. At the end of 2010, I moved to LA and um, I, I went there and I, I told my parents, hey, I'm going to go back, go to a music school and, you know, I'm going to get a degree and all this stuff. But really, it was just, I, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin and I knew that being a professional musician in Wisconsin wasn't, uh, <laughs> wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. 
Well, it's it, it's against the odds as well. It's, I mean, go to where the guitar players and all that stuff is going on at least. Now, then you give yourself a fighting chance. Did you did you do GIT? I'm, or I did. I did. I, yeah. You know what? I'm an alumni. I'm like one of those early, early though alumni. I'm, That's awesome. I went there and like right out of high school. I was 17. I graduated early, and I'm. I went there, like, I guess when it was affordable, people would say, but... Uh, in, well, you were there in, like, the golden age, I think. You know, that was, like, when GIT was GIT, right. which is, you know, we would we would sit there and they would show us, like, all the old concerts and the footage and stuff, and it was, like, the glory days. It's awesome, man. <laughs> glory. Old glory. That's a reoccurring <laughs> firm that comes, uh, that you associate with yourself, and I yeah. want to talk about that a little bit, but, but I, let's go, I mean, because it is a guitar... Uh, bass show and Mm -hmm. I've got one of the best up and coming guitar players on it I want to talk about GIT and what it actually did for you did you find that you learned more or did it help you with your practice habits what did you get out of it so so check this out when I was 17 I actually my mom god bless her she took me to uh, a a camp at Berkeley in Boston she was like hey there's a, a guitar camp there at this college you can go there. It's like a week long. Um, cause at that point, you know, I, I was, I would like all of us, you know, obsessed with guitar already. And, and she was like feeding the urge. So I go to this guitar camp and at the end of this camp, they're like, Hey, you know, you show some promise. Why don't you apply to get a scholarship to come to the school? And I was like, really, you know, I couldn't believe it. So all I did is I went in a room and there was like five of the, um, professors there. And they said, just play us a song. So I played uh, Lenny by Stevie Ray Vaughan because I was like, oh, it's kind of jazzy. It's got a lot of different feel in it. And they were like, oh, you know, they're like, OK, thanks. You know, see you later. And I didn't expect anything to come. And like two weeks later, I was at home and a letter came in the mail from Berkeley. And it was like, congratulations, you got uh, a scholarship. It was like, what was it? It was like seven thousand dollars per semester that they gave me the scholarship and I was like, well, I guess I know what I'm doing. So I go to Boston, I go to Berkeley, um, 17 years old and it was nothing like I had expected. You know, I thought I was going to go there and, and become like this, like, you know, I was obsessed with blues and rock. And, and when I got there, it was classical harmony, learning how to play keyboards, learning how to be, a, how to conduct an orchestra, okay. you know? And I was, I was like, Oh man, this is not my vibe. And I ended up leaving after about seven months. And my, my mom was like mortified, man. She was like, oh, my, you know, she couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. And it was right at that point where I was saying to myself, I, I love to learn. It wasn't that. I just, that wasn't my, you know, there was a lot of things involved in that that I wasn't into. And then I found MI. <laughs> Well, and, for you being in the in the uh, Midwest, you basically could have gone. Yeah, you went east or west. You had your choice. Mm-hmm. Me growing up in California, the sort of only choice for me was just to move south because I had been going to Los Angeles yeah. my whole life, being raised right. in the Bay Area. So that was a much easier decision for me. But I think that the the weirdest thing for me to think about you, whether it's Berkeley School of Music or uh, MI, is that. Mm-hmm. Your style, for those of you that uh, haven't heard Jerry James Nichols play yet. It's obviously 
a really cool, unique sound and style, you do not use a guitar pick. So mm-hmm. you use no your pick. fingers. <laughs> your fingers is where all, I mean, your fingers from both your left hand and your right hand is what gets you your tone. Did you ever have problems like going there when they were teaching with plectrums for our European audience and picks and, you know, saying, what are you doing using your fingers like picks? Oh, yeah, man. Of course. You know, I think, well, that all derived because I'm left handed. Right. So so when I'm writing, I'm writing with my left hand. When I originally picked up a guitar, I picked up a lefty. And my first teacher was like, dude, don't be a lefty guitar player. Like he had like he like. I was like 15 and, and he was like, if you're a lefty, he goes, how many lefty guitars do you ever see at a shop? You know, if you, you're always going to have to carry your own guitar, you know, special and all this stuff. And I was like, well, he's, he's probably right. You know, I should flip it. But when I flipped it, it was cool on like the fretting hand. But when it came to the pick, I just couldn't get along with a pick. So I played guitar for like two and a half years with the pick. But I was like always in the back of my head, like this sucks. Like I and when I'd play at home, I was with my thumb and my index finger. So when I was like 17, 18, I started to like really, really get into blues guitar. So I was listening to guys, obviously like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Albert King and Jeff Beck and all this stuff. And I kept going to my finger style stuff. And after a while I said, you know what, screw it. I, I didn't necessarily think to myself, this is gonna, this is how I'm gonna develop my sounds or my style or whatever. But I just said, this feels right to me. So I'm gonna go off on it. And that's when I like fully dedicated myself to not playing with a pick. And here we are years later, and it's like I remember when I moved to LA and I wasn't playing with a pick, people started to like be like, Oh, you're that dude, you're that pickless guy or whatever. And <laughs> it became like a thing, which yeah. was really cool. I never expected that. Man, I, I'm envious that you, because I'm left-handed as well, but it never felt good to uh, play left-handed. I would have right. jumped at the shot at the chance any time because my, my biggest heroes, like my, all the guys that I thought were the coolest, like whether it's Jimi Hendrix, uh, Paul McCartney, uh, Kurt Cobain, you know, yeah. later, I was just thinking like these guys, they always look cooler when you're playing left. When you're playing lefty yeah, style, and then and then it always freaks people out when I tell them, "Well, I am left-handed, but it, my theory is this, and you can uh, debunk it or whatever." But I, my theory is that when the guitar first started, you were mm-hmm. supposed to uh, your left hand was basically constant because your right hand needed all the coordination because you were doing a lot of arpeggios and a lot of work with your right hand. But mm-hmm. with the invention of the guitar pick. I think that this left hand started moving around up and down the neck, and this one just went up and down, the, the right hand. So y- there was much more need for your left hand to be the coordinated one. Obviously, with, right. your, with your style, you use both your you know, hands with kind of balanced coordination, but that's just my theory. I'm sticking to it. Why not? No, man, I, I think you're right. And uh, also what I noticed is when I stopped playing with a pick, you know, not to get really nerdy, like it opened up my imagination a little more. So yeah. there was things I couldn't do, like especially like speed wise, you know, like a lot of a lot of guys when you're playing with a pick, it's a lot easier to do, um, you know, certain rhythms, certain riffs and, you know, play faster on single note stuff. Yeah. I didn't really have that. So I, I kind of started to figure out different stuff. I, I started to turn to like different influences. Like I found like chicken picking guys, like country guys. And I wasn't into like country stuff, but all of a sudden I was like, Hey, this, you know, I can make those sounds a little different. So I was playing like all my blues and rock stuff, 
but it started to come out and sound a little different. And I got excited by that. So I would play a lot of the same licks that a lot of dudes would do with a pick, but it was the way that I was picking it. It would give it a totally different tone. And it was great, man. I, I'm, I'm very kind of still blown away that people are like, Hey, I can't believe you don't play with a pick. Cause to me now it feels so natural. It, it's like, I couldn't imagine only, you know, playing with one single pick. It's like have, my fingers. Is, is it the same like your uh, left hand where you'd have the same callus buildup on your, on your oh, right yeah. hand? And then, yeah, it, it gets bad. <laughs> <laughs> like my, uh, my, my girlfriend, she's like, uh, your hands are disgusting. You know, like it's, it's like my hands are like a, a, a mechanic hand, right? We, we know what the fretting hand feels like, but then, you know, to have these like horrible calluses on the other hand, it's just, it's a weird situation. Well, I, I guess you can't really put your hands next to each other and one of the hands is longer than the other because now they're both have, are all calloused up. That always freaks people out when I put my two hands next to each other. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. The, some of the fingers are much longer than the other ones on the, <laughs> on the, on the same hand. But uh, Definitely. Uh, Orianthi, who I played with uh, when I first got back into the Alice Cooper band in 2012, started touring mm-hmm. with Alice again. Orianthi plays with a pick and finger. She does like a hybrid. So she started showing me a couple licks. And mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, you always sort of grab something from every guitar player that you ever play with. And uh, you sort of learn something and you go, oh, I like that. And so I can maybe utilize it in my playing. So I tried to, but it, it's nowhere close to what i mean i see what you do you know and what i do though is and and not to like downplay it or whatever it's like it's it's just yeah and and no one ever really showed me how to do it right so i I just started to experiment and thankfully at the time man like i was when i was doing it you know i was either sitting in uh, a dorm room like like in hollywood and or before that i was i was literally in a in my parents garage like, how can I make this sound? How can I do this? So I had the time, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to do it, you know, trying to hold down a job or I was just a kid. So I think about it now and it's like, man, the amount of hours and years that I spent, you know, developing all this stuff, it's like, it was the perfect storm because now I think as, as I get older, I would have been a lot more lazy. You know, it was just such a a perfect time that it all happened. And, um, it's great. And, you know, with guitar too, there's always this thing where, I think naturally as guitar players, we are, we're competitive or there's like, there's always like, uh, you know, we're always watching each other and stuff. And for me, when I started to do kind of more of my own thing, I got more hyper-focused on that instead of, you know, um, trying to keep, you know, keep up or trying to, you know, so for me now, guitar, I don't really look at it like competitively or anything like that. I just think that everyone does their own thing and, um, you know, cause there's, as far as technique goes, like I can't, I can only do what I can do. Right. Does that make sense? No, it makes complete sense. And that's why I think you have the right, completely right attitude for guitar player. Cause what you do is unique onto you. And that's what makes you special. That's what gives you your tone. I always tell people that, you know, you should know the fundamentals. You should know your scales. You should, you know, if you really want to get into your modes and explore that, great. I, I don't feel it's 100% necessary, but right. you should know some scales so you have some sort of blueprints for your soloing. But then when it comes down to writing a solo, that's up to you, man. And that's up to your right hand and your left hand, your your brain telling, yep. you know, your, your hand what to do and hopefully having good enough equipment that, that, mm-hmm. that it, it translates, so... Mm-hmm. And I think that you, you know, cause you've been a professional guitar player and you've, you've, you know, it's, 
at the end of the day, I think having your own connection with the instrument means so much more than, than anything really. You know, I, I see so many guys that, that get worried or, or, you know, they say, I need more licks or I need more, you know, how do I do this? Like, how do I do this? Like, it's almost like a Zen thing when you get the connection with the instrument, it's like, then you realize that you're never going to know everything. You're never going to have all the licks or riffs or whatever you want. Yeah. It's just, you, you know, it, it becomes a part of us. Right. Well, and it's also good to, to be able to challenge yourself to learn something a little bit new every single year, every single tour yeah. and, and sort of progress like that. But totally, man, you know, going back to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make a, a because it's a long story. It's a long history of being in the trenches and working your way up to where you mm-hmm. are right now. But everybody has that sort of break that sort of helps them over the top. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it was, you know, getting in the Alice Cooper band the first time in 96. That was, that sort of opened my world up to a much bigger level of touring. I had done it before, but this really opened up the door and I always thank Alice for that. I does Is it true that, possibly you might have a documentary series to to have thank for yeah. you with that you know and honda of all companies yeah you will thank honda for your success honda <laughs> i thank honda even no dude that was so crazy so check this out long story short i won't try and harp on it in the the summer of 2014 I mean, when I started to tour, when I started to do all this stuff, it was me, a drummer, a bass player in either a Subaru or rented minivan touring by ourselves with what little gear we had and whatever. And we were playing anywhere from uh, biker bars to uh, college towns when the college was not happening. You know, like we were playing anywhere for anything. We ended up scoring a gig to play the parking lot of the Sturgis Buffalo Chip, which was uh, in South Dakota, anyone, you know, the big Sturgis motorcycle rally. We were playing in the parking lot. When people would drive in, we would there, we would be the band set up. You'd still take that I gig. Thought, take it. <laughs> I thought it, I, dude, I thought it was epic because I was like, oh, we're going to be at Sturgis. I'd, you know, I'd heard about this, so many people, all this stuff. Bikes were pulling in, ripping right by us, and we were just jamming. So, <laughs> we're doing this gig and the the main reason was we were able to play the second stage opening for like Leonard Skinner. They were going to be on the first big stage. So we do all these gigs. And by the time we get the last day on that second stage, like we're ready, I'm ready to play. We are jamming our set. I see some guy come over and he like looked official and he looked like he was mad and he was staring at me. And then all of a sudden he leaves comes back and he's with Ricky Medlock from Skinnerd. Oh yeah. And then R- and Ricky's standing there on this. Ricky Medlock. Yeah, and Blackfoot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And uh he's standing there. And then I was like, holy shit, that's Ricky Medlock. And then all of a sudden Gary Rosington is over there and they're all standing on the side of the stage watching. So at this point I'm thinking to myself, man, they must really be digging what I'm doing. So I after the show they invite me in the back and we're, I'm hanging out with the guys in Skinnerd and and to uh like like most of us, not only is it the history and everything about Skinner, like, you know, those guitar those songs were like the soundtrack. I don't care if you grew up in seventies, eighties, no doubt. Skinner has always been there. Oh, so yeah. even for me riding, you know, on my bike in Wisconsin, I had I had a a Walkman and I'd had the best of Skinner. So I was such a fan. And 
they said, oh, where are you touring? And I'm trying to not act like a big dog, but I was like, man, we're playing here. We're going to make our way back to LA somehow. There's another parking and lot said, somewhere. There's definitely exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be another parking lot for us to play somewhere. So we, we end up talking, I end up exchanging info with these guys. And, uh, at this point, someone had reached out to me on Facebook and said, Hey man, I have uh, a company that books tours across Europe. Um, I want to book you a tour. You seem like a really good fit. And uh, so they booked us a tour for 30 days, um, playing every single day across Europe to about anywhere from 20 to 40 people. You know, we did two, two and a half weeks every day in Spain. Like we were doing crazy amounts of shows. Yep, yep. And for me, I just, I was on top of the world, you know, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, at that point, I hadn't even dreamt that far, you know, as like a musician, much less to be traveling all over Europe playing. And uh, at this point, there was a guy in LA reached out to Phil, my manager, a yep. guy named James Reed. And he was like a documentarian, if that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he doc, what is that word? Documentary? He's a documentary. Historian, docu-historian. Docu-historian. Why not? Let's just make He's up a docu-historian. <laughs> yes. And he said, hey, man, I got this opportunity I'm looking for struggling artists who are really trying to push. Uh, we want to basically make these mini series on these different artists. And uh, Phil goes, well, boy, do I have the guy for you. And we <laughs> Boy, met is him. he struggling. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and, and I met James and uh, we talked and, and he was like, man, I think you'd be a good fit for this. And at this point I wasn't even, I was just like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, I'm thinking about, you know, going over to Europe. Like, I don't know who this guy is. Anyways, they start coming to my studio apartment in Hollywood with a camera, him and two other guys, and they start filming me going to rehearsals, going here. Uh, they filmed us going to South by Southwest and playing in front of about 15 people. They filmed us, you know, going to Europe and all this different stuff. And I still hadn't really wrapped my head around what they were trying to do. Um, then after the Europe tour, we got this break. I was talking to the guys in Skinnerd and they said, Hey man, we want you to open up some shows for us over here. So we had six shows with Skinnerd. They came, they filmed it. And on the last show in Germany, uh, I ended up jamming with Skinnerd, Sweet Home Alabama. And it was like, uh, the MHP arena. I think there was like 14,000 people there or something. It was crazy, dude. Like, well, this so sounds this, to me this, like it was an after-school special. They were they they, they they completely made it from the ground up, and and then it, then you ended up playing the big stage with the yeah. big band. So I mean, you know, their intent might have been to sell cars at the end of the day, but the success story was laid out and and probably very very uh, inspiring for for a lot of people that watched because I think seven million people have watched it so far. It's it's yeah, man, it's a big it, it one. Had, right? It was crazy. I remember that video came out and I really didn't know what was happening, but I remember I just kept refreshing my phone like on Facebook and it would have like 30,000 views. I'd refresh it again. It'd have like 33,000, like, and I couldn't believe that was happening. The next day from this documentary, um, I get a call from Zach Wild and he goes, Hey man, he goes, Zach Wild. And I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. He goes, we, uh, he goes, I saw that, that documentary. He didn't say I saw that documentary. He goes, hey, man, uh, my buddy showed me this video of you playing and you were jammed with Skinner and all that stuff. 
And I just wanted to say, you know, I got this tour coming up and we think you'd be great opener for this tour. Was this BLS? Was this the... Yeah, Black this is Zach... Wow. Yeah, uh, it was the Zach Wild Book of Shadows 2 tour. And it was going across Europe and then obviously in the States and Canada and stuff. That is a good and fit, said, the two of you together, I think, you know? Yeah, and he said, how do, how do you feel about that? Just like, kind of like nonchalant. And I was like, yeah, that would be amazing. I was kind of like at a loss for words. And... uh He's like, all right, cool, man. We'll, we'll see you soon. A month later, we were getting over to go to London to start a tour with him. And, uh, you know, it was cool because it was such a, uh, at the time, I didn't think it was a big deal. And then that happened. And, and it then it's just some kind of convergence of all good things start to happen. I always say when you, when you have that wave of success, uh, you ride it as long as you can. It's like, it's like a surfer who gets a good wave. He can ride, you know, he can try and ride 20 shitty waves, but what's the point of that? He waits for that one. He, you know, he always yep. bails out, bails out, and then he finds that, that right wave, and he rides it as long as you can. And I'm happy to see that it was a really good wave for you, man. <laughs> oh, thank you, brother. And, you know, from there, we – that's not to say um, – as you know, it's not like everything changed overnight. It's like we just got in another van, and we just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And just – I. I always said it was like, I just don't want to stop. I, I, as long as we were out playing. So we went from tour to tour. We did the Zach tour and then we were out with UFO and we were out with Saxon and we were out with Blue Oyster Cult and nice. all, all these different bands. And, and it was just, it was so cool for me because not only did I, was I just a fan of like, you know, all these bands, but I was out there doing it in front of all their audiences yeah. and everyone was just, Always, it was like every night I had to prove myself. It was like, who the hell is this guy? You know, it is pretty crazy when you start touring with the bands that you either listen to with big old funky, you know, for me, nineteen seventies headphones when I was growing mm -hmm. up doing homework to, or you actually tour with the guys who you had posters on your wall. You know, and you yes. say, I want to, you know, do that job. So during this time, you have three albums. This is all you put from then, basically, when it broke up until mm -hmm. just recently. You put out three different records. You started with yep. Old Glory and the Wild Revival, Highwayman yep. EP, and now mm -hmm. just re most recent Black Magic. So you have, a lot right. of, you have a lot of material to choose from. Um, mm -hmm. I want to go a little bit, how did the name Old Glory, because I mentioned it earlier, that you have a fascination with it. It's not just your first album title. It's actually the name of your custom guitar as well, right? Yes, it is, yeah. So how that actually happened was um, I was at the Guitar Center in Hollywood, and I still hadn't found the one. I hadn't, you know, as guitar players, we always try and find the one. We always try and find, like, what, what guitar? I was playing anything from Flying V's and Secondhand, whatever, anything I could find. And I was in like the Guitar Center Vintage Room one day and I saw this Les Paul Custom and man, it was battered. It was beat. Like that thing had had 10 lifetimes before I'd ever seen it. And, you know, broken neck and swap pickups and all this stuff. And I saw it and I looked at it and I went, man, I wonder what that thing sounds like. And I remember I, I picked it up. I just hit an A chord and it, and it growled. I hadn't even plugged it in. And I was like, wow, I like this. And the, the, the guitar center employee, he looked at me and he rolled his eyes like, whatever, you know, kid. <laughs> and I had, I had a Les Paul Jr., like a, uh, just like a standard Les Paul Jr. at the time. And that was the only guitar I had. And I found this, uh, 
this black custom. It, it turned out it was a 1971 Les Paul. And so it weighed like almost said, as much as you did. Exactly. I, those, those ones are so heavy. I remember early 70s Les Paul custom. You might as well just, you know, have another person next to you. Yeah, dude, <laughs> it was so trashed. And, and, but I saw it and it was like I had to have it. So I had that guitar uh, that junior traded it. What did they give me? Like 150 bucks for it or something, you know, oh, Guitar shit. Center. Okay. And uh, I got a, uh, the Guitar Center credit card. I didn't care. I was like, I want to have this guitar. And long story short, I got it. I brought it home. I was staring at it. I started to play some of the riffs I was working on for what turned out to be Old Glory in the Wild Revival. And uh, I saw it and I was like, man, this guitar looks like it's been through everything. So I said, it's like, it's like the Old Glory. I, I don't know where Old Glory came from, but I just thought about all the music that I love and that inspired me and all of us. And I thought about, you know, like america and like all this stuff and it was glory and i was like it's old glory it's like that guitar is still alive it's still i'm gonna make music with it and it's like it's been around forever you mm -hmm. know it was there when all that stuff was made and now here it is sitting in my studio apartment it's like this is old glory so when it came to the record time i remember i was thinking about it and i thought about the guitar and i old glory revival like what Old Glory and the Wild Revival. I was like, that's kind of a cool name. It reminded me of like a circus sideshow. Right. Old Glory and the, the Wild Revival. And it kind of yeah. reminds me of a tour that perhaps you and Leonard Skinner could easily be, you know, yeah. booked on again. Why not? You know? <laughs> so so that was it. That was it. And I was like, let's go with that. And then I I just went and that was my only guitar for till, you know, six months ago. That was that was the guitar. And and obviously moving forward. I was getting so much buzz with this guitar. I'd modded it and chopped it up. And it only had one pickup. I left it with one pickup. One P90, right? Which is yeah. not your standard. Like, I'm a, I'm a humbucker guy. A P90 mm -hmm. is, is a little bit, uh, it's a beefy single coil. Wouldn't you say? Exactly. Maybe that's a good yeah. way to put it. But if you got the mm -hmm. right tone, you got the right amp going through, those things scream. I have a, you know, Les Paul Jr. I have a, a Billy uh, Armstrong uh, double, oh, yeah. double cutaway and has P90s on it, and it sounds mm -hmm. incredible. But you have one pickup, one P90. Yep. What what else do you play it through? What else? I was like, well, like, I was just like, I don't know what was wrong with me at the time, but I was just like, man, I don't play with a pick. It's like, I'm going to play this one pickup monster guitar and just make it scream. And I don't even care. I wasn't using any, like at the point, at the time I, I plugged it into a black star amp because black star, when I first moved to LA, I, I got in touch and, uh, and they were super cool. So they ended up, uh, hooking me up with, uh, an amp. So I was playing it through that and it was just, man, P90, it was like a fat, like you said, it was like a fat single coil tone. But I loved that band Mountain. Leslie West was one of my biggest heroes. Of course, yeah. Mississippi Queen. Right. And when I heard that, and I heard that fat P90 sound. And the best part is those pickups, they're noisy. They buzz. You know, like, it's not a pleasant thing when you're trying to run it with, like, distortion or high volume and stuff. And it's like, I didn't, I still, I don't even care. It's like, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. And man, there's just something about them that I love. That's awesome. So what I'm most impressed of is that you have a one pickup guitar. You play with your fingers. You have a modern uh, 
type sounding amp, but it's I would say Blackstar isn't. They have they they come from the old Marshall old school tone, but it's a newer company. Um, the thing I'm most proud about is that that they made Old Glory into a signature series for you, didn't they? Which is so crazy to me. They did, yes. And as a as a player and a fan of of just guitars in general and all this stuff, like when when they said, hey people have been asking about this guitar. We want to make this a signature guitar for you. I almost fell out of my chair, man. I couldn't believe it because, you know, to me, signature guitars are, are heroes. It's everyone from Clapton slash Joe Perry. Like I'm thinking about our heroes and I was, I feel so honored. And the best part was, you know, they, they, they were able to make it you know, something that I could really stand behind. We went with Epiphone, which was so cool to me because, you know, a lot of people are first off going to say, who's this guy? You know, what is this? And the price and the quality of that guitar that they were able to make, it was perfect, man. And I play that Epiphone all the, like I've toured with only that guitar and I'm so proud of it because, you know, it's a great guitar. It inspires me to play. And now it's inspiring a whole lot of young people, young and old people to play. And I just, I'm so happy for that. Well, what I'm happy about for you is that you are part of that new school of Guitar Hero. I mean, you mentioned some big names with Joe Perry and, of course, you know, th- there's like a new school emerging, though. And you're definitely one of them, Jared. So I'm, I'm well, thank glad you, to have brother. you on, on the show as well. I, am, I need to know, because you mentioned a couple different guitar players throughout the podcast, but is there one mm-hmm. or two guys that really did it for you. I think Stevie Ray Vaughan was kind of a recurring guy in your world, but yes, who else? Really, when it came down to it, Stevie Ray was a huge one because when I when I was able to see him on tape and like I saw like his power and his energy through and what he did, he took the blues and he took it somewhere else. That was a huge one for me. Leslie West, like I said, from Mountain was like he was another one of my guys. He really inspired me with the with more of the. Not only the gear, but the attitude, the tone, you know, uh, simplistic style that was just like, I always equate him. He was like a grizzly bear. Like it was when you heard him coming, it was just, uh oh, you know, get out of the way. Uh, guys, you know, old school guys, obviously Clapton, Beck, Page, the blues guys, of course. But not only that, you know, I grew up and, uh, you know, my, my guitar heroes were, you know, everyone from Zach Wilde and Dimebag and, Jerry Cantrell, and that's the stuff I was hearing on the radio as a kid. So, as a guitar so that player, really- that's a great spectrum to listen to because you listen to the new school guys, you listen to mm-hmm. the old school guys, and you came up with something totally unique yourself. You know? Yeah, man, I, I love all of it. I'm I'm not like, oh, I only listen to stuff from '70 back. So, with all these names, all these guitarists from the old school to the new school, is there a certain album though that still inspires you, moves you up to this day? Yeah, man. I mean, there's there's a ton of albums one. that move me to this day. I got to pick one. If you had to. I'm just going to have to say this just because it's it's true. It's Are You Experienced Jimi Hendrix? Because to me, when I first heard that record, and I know that that record's now, it was 67, so it's it's just so long ago. But when I heard that as a budding guitar player, when I put that, it was a CD, when I put that CD on and I heard Purple Haze and I heard Manic Depression and I heard Fuzz Guitar and I heard the feedback, I was so blown away. And I mean, I heard that for the first time in 2004. So (laughs) 
you know, this was doesn't a, matter. a million years after. If it's the it, first it time you hear still, it and it moves you, it doesn't matter what year it was actually made. I mean, yeah, that's why... Yeah, going from there, it was like Eddie, hearing Eddie for the first time. Yeah, yeah, well, man, I, can, I can't tell you how many uh, copies of Van Halen's first record I ruined trying to learn Eruption. Because <laughs> that's what you had to learn exactly. from the actual vinyl back in those days. Yeah, you, yeah, scratched totally. Scratched the hell out of some records. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's good advice. So go listen to Are You Experienced? And then, uh, for the folks that are listening at home, go listen to Are You Experienced? And then go check out Jared's newest, Black Magic. And can I look forward to hearing and can our audience look forward to hearing more stuff coming out soon? Yeah, actually, we just actually released a single um, about a week and a half ago. It's called Threw Me to the Wolves. Um, That's something that's obviously Black Magic, the record. And then we just released a single so people can check that out now. And I'm actually now in the process of writing all the tunes and getting ready to do a new record, which is it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> well, we did meet each other last uh, summer at Sweden Rock Festival, and mm-hmm. uh, we got to actually bond as we drove fr- all the way from Sweden Rock Festival back up to Stockholm because you were doing yes. some guitar clinics as well. As well, we had a, a good bond there. But I also have a little bit of history with your manager. Phil. I know this. I know this. I which is him so gu- cool. I taught him guitar. When he was about, maybe he was 15 and I was 16, or it was somewhere around there, or maybe he was a little bit younger, but I was, you know, I taught him guitar lessons, and and now he's managing one of the up-and-coming guitar heroes of uh, of our generation, of your generation. You're a kid. You're a kid. <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming on In the Trenches. You've definitely proven yourself uh, In the Trenches worthy, and you're still doing it. So the new album, I, or they can go check it out right now on mm-hmm. the new single. They can check out on yep. YouTube. Um, yep. And the best way to get in touch with you, is it on Instagram? Yeah, either Instagram or, you know... Um I, I still have all the, the Facebook page and all that stuff. So if, if someone wants to get in touch, they definitely can. Um, but yeah, I would say Instagram is the easiest way. Just shoot me a message. Um, and I'm always posting, you know, that's yeah. now, now we have so much more time, man. It's, it's, if somebody I'm going to answer, you know, I don't know if you saw, but I, I had a, uh, a challenge to you. Oh, go, go on my Instagram. And I gave it because I saw everybody. Uh, Brian May was was putting out licks. And then John Five was putting out licks. You, you challenged putting, me. I challenged you. And that's why you have to go on to the Instagram right about now. You can know I'm okay. old school when I call it the Instagram. So go on the Instagram. <laughs> you would be at Jared James Nichols. But here's that's the funny, me here. I had such a good take of my performance. I called uh-huh. you Jared James Michaels, but I left it. That's oh, that's how good the gun. performance of the lick was. So those of you who are listening, see if uh, my challenge is Jared Shane Nichols worthy. Um, okay. I'm at, I'm yeah, at, I, at I Ryan Roxy on. on Instagram. You're at, at Jared James Nichols at Instagram. Yep. And um, Old Glory, how can someone find Old Glory if they want a little Man. bit of Old Glory themselves? If, if, the, if anyone wants to check it out, uh, they can either scroll through my Instagram and, and see a bunch of pictures of it or videos. But, uh, you know, all the all the retailers, I think what happened, though, is we only did a limited run and we ended up doing quite a few more than we were originally going to. But um, I don't think there's many left that are out. So the best place I would say is check, like, if you're in the States, right, Guitar Center or Sam Ash or Sweetwater. Um, otherwise, I'm not sure, like, Luthman or... You know, That's I over remember here in I was Sweden, at, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Sweden. Um, but you know, they're around just type in old glory, Jared James Nichols. You will definitely see him. That's perfect, man. Well, you know what? The uh, guitar stops definitely have to open at some point. Um, but for yes. the time being, we're hunkered down. Uh, we're being creative. You're writing for the new album. The single is mm-hmm. out. And uh, you thank you so much for taking the time to be on In the Trenches. I'm so happy to, man. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks, really but hey, it, hang on, hang on the line for a second. I'm going to say goodbye uh-huh. to our folks. And okay. uh, if you want to check out more episodes of In the Trenches, you can go to your favorite platform, which is uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you want, or go to our official YouTube uh, channel, or you can always go to RyanRoxy.com/podcast. Again, uh, thanks for listening. It was all things guitars. Our guest today was Jared James Nichols and uh, him and Old Glory. I think uh, mm-hmm. prove themselves more than in the trenches worthy. We'll see you next time. And uh, until the next episode, enjoy the ride. Cheers, man. In the trenches with Ryan Roxy.